Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, God wants your entire life to be transformed. And that includes transforming your marriage and family. The Greek word for transform, metamorphu, where we get the English word metamorphosis, means a complete and radical change in appearance and in substance. And the same Greek word is actually used in another verse in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. It says here, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. You know, in a very real sense, what God did in Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, he wants to do in you, in your home. Perhaps your marriage is just ordinary, nothing special, but God can transform it into something really outstanding. And if your face, your face is darkened with anxiety and stress and strife because of your home life, God today and in the days to come can brighten your countenance. A household, a household that is gloomy with bitterness and animosity can become radiant with his glory. In other words, your home can shine for Christ. Amen. It shouldn't be that we have wonderful, blessed services and terrible home lives. Yeah. Amen. It shouldn't be that you love being here and you hate going home. We can't have revival in the church without restoration in your home. Amen. Now, we must not allow the world, we must not allow the world to define marriage and family for us. It is no secret. It is no secret that the institution of marriage is under attack everywhere we turn. The entertainment industry constantly disparages, speaks disparagingly or, or makes light of marriage in movies and, and, and television and music, etc. Friend, you will never have a healthy marriage by reading Vogue and Cosmopolitan magazine. You know, some Bollywood actress is going to tell you how to have a, have a successful marriage. Yeah, she should know she's been married seven times. The Bible says in Psalm 1, verse 1, in the God's Word translation, blessed is the person who does not follow the advice of wicked people. Now, friends, traditional marriage in the West has been on a downward trajectory for several generations. That's the, that's the truth. But with millennials, it appears to be in a free fall. 
More and more people have rejected the whole concept of marriage, choosing just to live together out of wedlock. Think about this, and it's, you know this, you don't need me to tell you, but so far, 29 nations in this world have legalized same-sex marriage in open defiance of God's natural order. This year, for the first time in history, a transgender athlete was allowed to compete in the Olympics. While I'm on the subject, transgenderism is not a biological problem. It's a psychological problem. It might be a demon problem. God, I could preach another sermon right now. Maybe somebody needs to hear this. God did not make a mistake when he made you. Well, I'm a man on the inside, but I have a woman inside. Now, you may have a devil on the inside, but you don't don't have a woman on the inside. I I know it sounds funny, but this generation needs some moral clarity from the house of God. And if you're afraid to say that homosexuality is a sin, don't go in the ministry. Go get a job selling shoes, but don't go in the ministry. We speak the truth. In love, we want to help people, and we don't help people by failing to disclose the truth to them. Amen. You see, things that were once frowned upon in society or shunned by average folks have become acceptable and normalized. And those who will not accept these things are now shunned. I fear the day is coming soon where even to admit you're a Christian will be illegal. We see the signs of the times. So my point is this. Don't let a Christless culture tell you what to think and what to believe. Don't do that. Do not be conformed to this world. However, however, even Christians need to have God's perspective on marriage and family and the home. In our homes, most people unconsciously, without thinking about it, they unconsciously follow the example that their parents left for them, whether good or bad. Often in this way, the sins of the fathers are passed on to the children. If your childhood home was filled with apathy or coldness, there's a chance your children will grow up in a similar experience, you see. If your father was harsh and controlling or maybe detached and indifferent, there's a possibility that you also could father your children in the same way. Because whatever you are accustomed to, whatever you are used to, seems like normal to you. So you might say, well, in my home, my father used to hit my wife, hit, or no, sorry, hit my mother. So you get married and think, well, that's just normal. But whatever the world calls normal is not what God calls his will. Do not be conformed to this world. Amen. So we have to stop the downward spiral that may have been passed on to us by renewing our minds. See? We must intentionally, purposefully align our thoughts, 
See, our thoughts. Not just our doctrines, but our thoughts with God's thoughts. Before there can be a change in our lives, there must be a change in our thinking. See, we have this problem where on paper we believe one thing, but in reality we believe something else. That's why our minds need to continually be renewed. Not being conformed to this world is only possible if we are conformed to God's word. Let me say that again. Not being conformed to this world is only possible if we are conformed to God's word. In other words, just dressing up on Sunday or having a Bible you know, on your table or, or a, a, a picture of Jesus on your wall, that is not going to transform your life. You have got to get the word of God not only in your heart but even in your mind. The devil's not afraid of the cross on your wall. He is afraid of the cross of Calvary, and if you have faith in that and live like it's true, then that's going to make the enemy nervous. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So today and every day, we must train our brains and school our souls to think as God thinks. What is this meeting? It is a giant mind renewal session. That sounds scary. Oh, I don't like that. Sounds like you're trying to brainwash us. Well, number one, your brain needs washing. It's got a lot of garbage inside. But number two, we're not trying to deceive anybody. We're just trying to tell people what the Bible says and ask you to believe it, which is what every church should do. Praise the Lord. Let me ask you to look at another scripture with me this morning. James chapter 1, verse 21. James 1, 21, it says, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, James wrote this letter to born-again Christians. They're already saved, so he's not trying to encourage them to get saved. But you see, the word soul, very often the word soul, when it's used specifically, it means your mind, your will, and your emotion. Sometimes the word soul just means a person. You know, like in Noah's Ark, eight souls were saved. They were rescued from the flood, just eight persons. But in verses like this, I think it refers to your mind, will, and emotions. You see, your spirit, your inward man, was recreated the moment you received Christ. The moment. But the, but the renewing of your mind is a process. So anybody here can say, yes, on January 17th, 1998, I was born again. But nobody can say, and on June 7th, you know, 1999, my mind was renewed. No, it's a lifelong process. Somebody said your mind stays renewed about as long as your hair stays combed. And for me, that's not very long. That's why God invented hairspray. But I shouldn't tell you that. Anyways... The Greek word, he says, the word of God is able to save your soul. Save. Well, the Greek word for save, sozo, also means to heal and make whole. It's translated that way in some other verses. So this is the point. If we, we, all of us here today, if we will humbly receive God's word and allow it to be embedded in us, to take root in us, not just to tickle our ears, but to dwell in us, it will heal and restore 
our souls. The first step to healing a troubled marriage is to heal the souls that are in that marriage. To heal you. Hurting people hurt others. Troubled people go around causing trouble for others. But God's word, my friend, is medicine. It's medicine for our souls. And I'm really talking about the way you think, even your emotions, the way you feel. It can soothe the pain. It can heal your damaged emotions. Ooh. The key to a better marriage, and let me just stop right here and say this. This is, of course, our fourth in a series if you've been with us, and I would encourage you to hear the other, the other series. But let me just say this. I am in no way criticizing anybody's marriage, their home life, their family. No way. Far be it from me to criticize anybody. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. You may be sitting there with a red face thinking he's talking about me. No, I'm just talking. I don't know what you're going through necessarily. That's, I planned on speaking on this you know, before you had problems perhaps. That's not the point. And, and I'm not qualified to stand here and talk about how to have a perfect marriage because I don't have a perfect marriage. Right? I'm very nervous while I preach on this subject that Jeppy will stand up and start moving toward the pulpit. And that's my cue that you're done, buddy. <laughs> so I, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot, you know, somehow stand here with an air of superiority. I, I don't, I can't do that. But what I can tell you is this, that God is faithful and God's word is true. And if you will trust him, he will help you. I know he's trusted me and I know he'll trust you too. I, he'll help you too. Whatever. You know what I'm saying. Praise the Lord. Amen. The key to having a better marriage is becoming a better person. You know, again, most uh, spouse, most husbands, most wives, particularly wives, they're praying, God, change my husband. Oh, God. Oh, I wish he was here this morning. God, change my husband. Well, you know, maybe your husband is not the only problem. Well, I wonder who it is. It's a mystery, isn't it? It could be you. <laughs> Amen. Many times when it comes to our spouse's faults, we have 20-20 vision. If we were to ask, you know, your wife, you know, uh, what, what is his fault? She could just give us a list of 100 things right now on the spot. But if we turned it around and said, what are your shortcomings? Well, of course, I'm not perfect, but I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> Maybe the Holy Ghost will help you. <laughs> Amen? The key to having a better marriage is to become a better person, a better Christian. But that will never happen unless our minds are renewed. If we have a renewed mind, we will not only think what God thinks, we will value what he values. What is important to him will become important to us. What he loves, we also will love. Think about that. Obviously, if you're thinking like God, you'll have God's attitude. How can I do that? Well, based on his word. See, my mind is agreeing, my thoughts agree with his word. Well, what does God value? What does God prize above all things? People. People. 
We could give you dozens of scriptures, but here's one, Romans 5.8. From the CEV translation, it says, but God showed how much he loved us by having Christ die for us, even though we were sinful. God demonstrated his love for us by having Christ die for us. Jesus did not shed his blood for the tigers and the trees. Jesus did not go to the cross to save the whales. I think we should be good stewards of the resources we have. I'm all in favor of that. But if God wants more tigers or more monkeys, he can just make them. Jesus died for people. People like you and me. Are you out there today? Praise the Lord. I know you love your dog and your cat. I'm sorry, I cannot promise you that they're going to heaven. But I can tell you this. The people who believe on Jesus, they will be there with you in eternity. Come on, some people love their cat more than they love their spouse. Don't raise your hand right now. Amen. Glory to God. You may think the most valuable thing you have is money or land or houses, but God thinks it's people. People that he has brought into your life. Not only to bless you, but so that you in turn can be a blessing. A lot of times I see, I see people post things online, something like, if there's anybody that's toxic in your life, run away. Well, that could be you. You won't have any friends. Everybody's running away from you. God will bring irritating people into your life. Why? Because it doesn't prove anything when you love lovable people like me. It's when you love irritating people it's when you love irritating people like, um, well, never mind. You, that's, that's what develops you. That's what improves you. Wood does not become smooth by silk. It takes sandpaper. Haven't you realized that Sister Sandpaper is following you everywhere you go? She may be sitting next to you right now. God, but God loves those people just like he loves you. God loves your worst enemy more than you love your best friend. Amen. Your marriage and your family are worth more than silver or gold. And anything worth having is worth fighting for. Notice with me 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of the faith. When Paul says the faith, he actually means the Christian life in general, you see. So there is a fight to this life. I said there is a fight to this life. So today you need to fight for your marriage. You need to fight for your children. You need to fight for your home. Fight the good fight of faith. How many of us, how many of us, if we saw a thief stealing our vehicle, our car, would just sit back and let it happen without even saying a word? I think at the very least we would say, hey, stop. Someone called the police or something like that. 
we would not allow it to happen if at all, if at all possible. Your family is infinitely more valuable than any car you will ever own, any motor scooter, or any motorbike, any house, any furniture, anything you'll ever own. So don't let the devil take your children. Don't let him destroy your home. Fight the good fight of faith. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That you may, may be able to withstand in the evil day. What is the evil day? Is that Monday? No, the evil day, <laughs> the evil day is when you are under attack. That's what he means. When you are under attack, it is when the enemy is making a play for your household. Hmm? He desires to sift your family like wheat. He wants to destroy them. And that day is coming. If it's not already here, that day is coming. So what should you do? Whine and cry. Feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> Have two candles come down, sit in, the, sit in the corner and just pull the blanket over your head and sob? No, a thousand times no. What should you do? Get angry at God? Shake your fist at heaven? No, what should you do? Take up the whole armor of God. Take up, put on the whole armor of God. That's what you should do. The Christian life is a fight. You do not give armor to spectators. You do not wear armor to a picnic. Armor is for battle. Armor is for battle. This life is a fight. I think the Holy Ghost and the angels are thinking, when are you going to get in the fight? Aren't you tired of the devil just walking on top of you? Aren't you tired of the enemy just stealing you blind? When are you going to get in the fight? But this is a spiritual contest. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. You understand that? Now, we do have to deal with people. And oftentimes, the flesh and blood we wrestle with is our own flesh and blood. Our own flesh, you see. But we recognize that behind the scenes in the evil day, the enemy is orchestrating things, so we must resist him. Take your place, use your authority in Christ, and resist him. Notice this. Paul did not say, ask God to give you armor. He didn't say that. He said, we already have it. It's already ours, but we have to wear it. We have to put it on. In other words, we already have what we need to win. We already have the protection that is required for this day, but we have to apply it. We have to utilize it. Many Christians, they kind of lethargically, listlessly say, well, I have faith. I have eternal life. But Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. 
Fight the good fight of faith. What does that mean? Take the faith you have and use it as a weapon against the enemy. Your faith is like a shield and it will thwart every flaming arrow the enemy hurls in your direction. So many Christians, their shield is in the closet collecting dust. And they're sitting in the opposite corner whining and crying. Take up the shield of faith. Hallelujah. Notice again, we read it earlier. Paul said, take hold of eternal life. Take hold of it. That means utilize it. Take advantage of it. See, I could have money in my pocket. But when I want to buy something in a shop, I have to reach in and take hold of that money and use it. You have eternal life now in your heart, but you've got to reach in and take hold of it. You've got to walk in the light of it. You've got to take advantage of that life. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now you might say, Pastor John, my home is under attack. My family is going through a a difficult time now. And I've done everything I can think of to do. What should I do? And having done all to stand firm. And having done all to stand firm. Just keep standing. Just keep standing. I said, just keep standing. Just keep standing. Just keep standing. We need to have more of a Spartan attitude. I said, we need to have more. Christians, we need to have more of a Spartan attitude. What does that mean? Sparta was a region of ancient Greece that was known for its militant culture. From age seven, Spartan boys were trained to be warriors. All the men of Sparta from age 20 to 60 were professional soldiers. They had no other occupation. All the men of Sparta were professional soldiers. Even the Spartan women were athletic, a little frisky, and very independent-minded. They were strong women. They were not little weak women. Huh? Hallelujah. They're not the kind of women that you know, go home and cry because the usher didn't seat me where I wanted to be seated. No, they're strong women. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. And and Spartan mothers, Spartan mothers told their sons before going into battle, come back with your shield or on it. You know what that means? That means if you die in battle, That's a dignified thing, but I will not have a coward for a son. Never surrender. Sounds like a naga, doesn't it? (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, what am I saying? What am I saying? Am I saying that we should have some kind of harsh militant attitude? I'm saying that when it comes to spiritual warfare, you need to be a warrior instead of a wimp which is what some of you are. You need to be a warrior for Christ. You have the armor of God. Come on. 
The devil is more afraid of you than you will ever be afraid of him. He knows the greater one is living in you. He knows the Holy Ghost has empowered you. He knows the word of God is true. He believes it more than you believe it. But you've got to take up the whole armor of God. You've got to change your attitude. Hallelujah. When things are going badly in your home, you can't just get on the phone and talk to every little friend you have and say, pray for me, pray for me. Come on, in the day of battle, do you go to the throne or you go to the phone? Come on, it's time to have that Spartan attitude. Come on, devil, we're ready. Boom. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Glory to God. Glory to God. He was about to flee from you, but you didn't know it because you turned and ran faster than he did. <laughs> Come on, Spartans. It's time to put on the armor of God. Come on, Spartans. This is the evil day. This is the day of battle. And we are ready. Ooh. Amen. I mean spiritually. I'm not asking you to go home and kill your husband. I'm talking about spiritually. <laughs> I'm not asking you to ambush a bus. I'm talking spiritually. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We can't give up. It's one thing to have done all that you can do. And even if you don't find success, at least you fought valiantly. But I'll tell you one thing that won't work. These little half-hearted measures. I pray. I had the church pray. I said, God, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. That ain't going to work. Come home with your shield or come home on it. That's not going to work. You got to have some in interior, some mental toughness. I don't mean hard-hearted and insensitive, but some toughness. God wants you to have an iron rod for a backbone, not a cotton string. So when the devil hits you, he's going, I think I broke a knuckle. <laughs> Hallelujah. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Well, Brother John, I'm trying to be strong. God didn't say try to be strong. He says be strong with his strength. Receive his power. Receive his grace. He is your strength. Glory to God. Glory to God. Somebody say glory to God. Come on, Spartans. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Yeah, but Brother John, I've messed up so many times. Well, welcome to the club. Here's your membership card. <laughs> I've messed up so many times. I don't think God will ever forgive me. Peter asked Jesus a question. In Matthew 18, 21, New King James Version, he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? We could say, how often shall my husband sin against me? <laughs> and I forgive him. Up to seven times, Peter thought he was being generous. Very generous. Jesus answered in verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Whew. Whew. Would God ask you to do something he was not willing to do? 
would God tell you to do something he's not willing to do? Uh, would, he, would he tell you, don't tell a lie, but it's okay for him to tell a lie? No. Would he tell you, you know, don't steal something, but it's okay for him to steal? No, no, no. He does not have a double standard. If Jesus told us to forgive others, and 70 times seven doesn't mean 490 times. Some people are counting, that's 471. You gotta, you're almost at the end of the list. No, no, it means just infinitely. That's what it really means. That's what it really means. If we're told to forgive others, even if it's a, they've sinned against us repeatedly, then why would God not forgive you? Of course he'll forgive you. Come on, they brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. It wasn't something that happened 10 years ago that someone, it was a rumor, they caught her in the act. And what did Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know, if Jesus was Presbyterian, he would have picked up the first stone. <laughs> I know, I was raised Presbyterian. I have a right to say that. Hallelujah. I don't know what a Baptist would do. I won't go there. Hallelujah. <laughs> you can tell me later. <laughs> Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if we have the mind of Christ, that is a renewed mind, we will forgive even as he forgave others. And we will forgive ourselves. Some people, they can't forgive themselves for what they did. Well, if God forgave you, why can't you forgive you? Are you better than God? Of course not. And if God says you're forgiven, he said, he said in the book of Jeremiah, it's quoted in the book of Hebrews, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. If God has forgiven you, then you are forgiven. Yeah, but I don't feel forgiven. Nobody asked you how you felt, honey. If God says you are forgiven, you are forgiven. Well, I just don't think I deserve to be forgiven. Well, we all agree on that point, but that's not the point. The point is the blood of Jesus was shed for people just like you, just like me, so that we could be washed clean and we don't have to be second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. We don't have to walk around softly and sulk and feel sorry for ourselves. We can stand boldly and worship God, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I'm not making light of sin. I'm making much of the blood. Can somebody shout hallelujah right now? I mean, I just feel like we need to do it. A renewed mind. A renewed mind. We need to renew our minds on the subject of marriage and family and the home. Hallelujah. I want to give you another point here. That was my introduction. Now I'm ready. <laughs> Another point, if there is tension in our homes, it's not because of some strange vortex in the room. We bring that tension with us. The moment you left the room, all the tension left the room. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I know. That's what my, my wife always tells me that. So it must be true. Praise the Lord. We carry that tension with us. Well, listen, Philippians chapter four, verse six. This, this, this applies to your marriage. This, and single people, don't turn me off. This is for you. This is your future counseling. This is your premarital counseling happening right now. Don't turn me off. 
And don't sit there and think, oh, this is for people who have troubled marriages. This is for every marriage. Every marriage has trouble. <laughs> Amen? Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So that means we fight for our families with faith, not fear. We fight for our children. We fight for our homes with faith, not with fear. See, the Greek word for anxious in this verse literally means, this is interesting, the Greek word translated anxious literally means to be distracted. To be distracted. It means you are so concerned about something, it's all you can think about. It's all you can think about. In fact, even as you're sitting there this, this morning, or maybe watching online, you can be so worried about your home, you can't even hear what I'm saying. The voice in your head is so much louder than my voice. And I have a microphone. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Worrying about your marriage will not improve it. Not even one centimeter. Being worried about your children will not help them at all. You think being worried is virtue, but it's not. It's vice because it's meditation on fear. Do not be anxious about anything. Ooh, but bring your concerns to God in prayer. Hallelujah. Notice verse 7. And, so that means we're not finished talking about the same thing. This, is, this connects what he just got through saying. And the peace of God. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if I was Paul, and you should thank God that I'm not, but if I was Paul, I would have written, you know, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the power of God will change your circumstance. But he said, and the peace of God will guard your heart. You ever think about that? Prayer changes things, that's for sure. But the first thing that prayer changes is the one who is praying. Before God can change your marriage, your home, he must change you. Hallelujah. You see, the anxiety is worse than the thing you are anxious about. And if the devil can get you into a place of anxiety and worry, he's got an advantage over you, and he knows it. So don't worry. Don't yield to fear. Amen? But we're not done. Verse 8. Verse 8. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers. And this means sisters too. Finally, brothers. Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable. Whatever is just. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is commendable. 
if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The Bible tells us what to think on, and it is important what you think. A lot of Christians, a lot of Christians believe it doesn't matter what I think, it's just what I do or what I say. No, 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 no. It does matter what you think. It does matter, huh? So verse eight, which I just read to you, verse eight, this is what a renewed mind looks like. If you wanna know what it looks like, it looks like this. Other translations say, center your mind on them or dwell on these things. One translation says, focus your thoughts on these things. Remember, the Greek word for anxious means to be distracted. The best way to overcome distraction is by being focused. I refuse to think some things. I refuse to allow certain thoughts to even come in my mind. That's not easy to do, but God will help us. That's how you overcome. Hallelujah. Don't dwell on all that's wrong in your home. Don't dwell on all that disappoints you in your children. Don't dwell on all that's wrong with you. Is it, is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Well, if not, don't, twink, don't think on that. That is, don't dwell on that. Don't meditate on that. Don't focus on that. Focus on what is right. Focus on what is good. And that'll change your attitude. That'll change your life. But then notice verse nine. I'm almost done, aren't you glad? Verse nine. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, praise and worship team, they're all here on the front row. Singers, musicians, what's something you guys do every week? Practice. 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 So what does that mean? Does that mean that they just listen to the song one time and we're done? Like, yeah. No, 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 no. They, they listen to that song, you know, like a YouTube video or some file, audio file. They listen to it several times. Am I right? They listen to it several times. And then, does that mean they just show up at the church on uh, Friday and they just play the song once through? Is that what that means? Man, your practice would be over like in five minutes. That'd be great, wouldn't it? No, they, they, they play it. They sing it over and over and over. And if they make a mistake, do they put their guitar back in the case and just go home? No, no, they, they, they go over that part again and they keep practicing until it becomes second nature. And the idea is that if you're singing, you know, I live to worship you and somebody sneezes really loud on the front row, you won't be distracted. I live, got you. <laughs> without thinking, you just keep on going. Just keep, if somebody plays the wrong chord, you just keep on going. If somebody forgets the lyrics, you just keep on you know, playing. You just, that's right. When your mind is renewed, 
You think God's thoughts and it's second nature to you. It's second nature to you. You could do it in your sleep. If somebody woke you up at 3 a.m. and said, the house is on fire, you would say, glory to God. He is my shield. He is my buckler. He is my refuge. In him I will trust. But most people wake up at 3 o'clock and say, the house is on fire. They go, ah, we're all going to die. <laughs> say, it's not really second nature. We could go on. But notice this. Paul said, practice what you have learned. And what will be the result? The God of peace will be with you. Now, friend, God will be with you no matter what you do. He promised to never leave you. Jesus said, I'm with you always. When Paul said, the God of peace will be with you, that's not a different God. That, that's, there's only one God. He means the God, your God, who creates peace, who releases peace, who makes peace, he will work in your circumstance. He will calm the storm in your home or in your life, your family. So pray, but then carefully choose your thoughts. Be more disciplined in that department. And practice the truth, just like a singer or a musician practices a song. Then you will not only have peace in your heart, you will also have peace in your home. Would you bow your head with me, please? Father, we thank you for the word of God today.